Thanks for listening to In Absentia Episode 2, A Hardy Mystery. Myself, the GM, Steve. Story, played by Anne. Zigrit, played by Mark. And Quill, played by John. Further investigate the mystery of Millie's murder at Fort Hightower. Good call. I forgot to record. <laughs> Just to recap again. Well, I guess you guys get to deal with our recording bots. This is free publicity for the people at Craigbot. So back to where we were. Again, just to recap, we walked out of the inn that we're sleeping in. Walk up to this crowd through the people's legs. We see this young woman. She looks to be like maybe early, mid-20s, lying on her back. She's got a simple gray dress on. It's not nice, but it's not ripped up. It's not dirty. It's clean. It's well-made. It's just not fancy. She's laying on her back. Her legs are kind of akimbo. And then one arm's tucked underneath her back. And her other arm is across her chest. The look on her face is... It doesn't seem like she died in pain or anything like that. At least as far as you can tell, it's fairly calm. She doesn't have any dramatic facial expression or anything like that. Looking around, there's not like a ton of blood around her. It's just fairly localized around the hole in her chest. Uh, As you guys approach the crowd and start to kind of push through, you see an older middle-aged gentleman, probably in his 50s or so. 40s, 50s, we'll say 50s just for funsies. He is graying here. He has a really kind of pencil thin beard and mustache. Fairly well-maintained clothing. It's nothing fancy, but it's clean, not dirty. It's not rags or anything like that. He is fairly tall, though. He is just a shade over six feet. He's pretty thin. You do notice that his fingers are stained black and gray with some sort of substance. So Ziggert kind of sees that and um, goes, mm, I've always wanted to do this. And he casts detect magic. And it's like, a, think of it like Dr. Strange when they uh, kind of have that hexagon inside of a hexagon and it kind of hovers in front of his face almost and it kind of follows his face as he turns around and the spell allows him to see uh, any faint aura of magic within 30 feet so uh, i kind of picture it as like a clue in a video game where it's you know if there's magic around he's going to see little uh, sprites in the air i believe if memory serves it tells you what it does let me learn the school of magic that was used. The school yes. of magic. Okay, let me get to my school of magic list. We'll here. say it's like different color sprites to Ziggurat. He interprets that as different schools of magic. Yeah. Gotcha. For, for story purposes, he's never actually cast this spell before. This is, he's just known he's had the ability to. This is the first time he's using it. Okay, so you have a pretty strong sense of an enchantment spell. And it's kind of localized around this older gentleman's chest and then on the young lady's body mm. there is a abjuration aura around her. Let's see here. Abjuration is what? 
Abjuration spells are protective in nature. Some of them have aggressive uses. They create magical barriers, negate harmful effects, harm trespassers, or banish creatures or other pl- to other planes of existence. That's what's on the man or on, on her? That's on her. Okay. And you said I detected something on him, too? On him, you see an enchantment spell localized around his chest just below his neck. Mm-hmm. Um, enchantment spells have affect the minds of others influencing or controlling their behavior such spells can make enemies see the caster as a friend force creatures to take a course of action or even control another creature like a puppet mm-hmm. i look over at at story and at quill i assume we're, we're kind of close to each other and i say looks like there's been some magic around here there might have been a spell that did that to her i'm not quite sure but we might want to separate this man from this woman. Um, this whole, like, before we started recording, Story is looking, like, as soon as she realized there was, like, there, there was nothing she could do to help the lady, she's looking for people who are acting, like, not like you would when you found a body. Somebody a little too calm, somebody a little, somebody walking away not towards a you know, guard force or something. Okay. so. As I mentioned, there is only one or two guards there. But as you start scanning the crowd, you do notice one that walks forward, pauses, and then instead of joining the other two guards, he kind of starts walking away. Then Story's not there to talk to. If somebody's walking away calmly or inching away, she's she's going to try to sneak over and see what is going on there. Again, I've known y'all for what, 24 hours. That's true. So she might like make eye contact or touch quill or something to make sure they know that she's not going to be right there. That they're, you know, she's not missing. Ziggurat will mumble to quill. Looks like she walked away for a second. I think she might be following someone. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to hide and stealth on this guy without getting too far away from the hubbub. Can you roll me a stealth check as you're trying to follow him? Stealth check. Seventeen. Dang. It's kind nice. of what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say that is kind of like the central focus of your character. So I did roll a ten. So. Gotcha. So you follow him away from the crowd and he starts kind of heading into the shadier areas of high tower, you know, kind of the more poor areas of ill repute. He doesn't seem to notice you at all. And he walks into this kind of low stone building. And instead of having like a traditional door of any kind, it, it just has like a, like a curtain across it that he walks through and it's kind of dimly lit shadows being cast on this curtain. And and you would know story having spent some time in high tower that this is kind of the local drug den. So are there any wind anywhere where I can like listen in or am I trying or is the only way to continue this investigation to follow him? Um, I, I would say that, you know, it's a fairly small building you could probably hang out close to the doorway and you could probably hear from that doorway what's going on inside. 
I mean, it's it's not like a well-to-do drug den. This is like a, a derelict, low, small building, maybe one or two rooms with a bunch of people in various states of high lying around inside. Uh, then I try to get close to the door and try to look as inconspicuous, but if it's a drug den, I'm going to try to look like somebody who should be there or something, you know, if I can curl up and look like a trash bag, I will try to do that too. But I would like to go listen. After he walks in a few seconds later, you hear him say, Hey, high tower guard. What seems to be going on here? Then you hear another kind of lower voice. God damn it. Farrick. Why do you do that? Every time you come in here, you give us a goddamn start. Are you actually going to buy something tonight? Or are you just here to harass us? And the other voice, which you now know to be Farrick, the guard. Yeah. What, what do you got that'll that'll get me good? I, I don't want anything too heavy. I, I still need to finish my rounds for the night. And yes, here, try some of this. Just chew on it. Keep it in your cheek. You can pretend that it's just a snack and spit it out if anyone questions you. And you hear the clink of coin and... Farrick walks out, chewing like cud in the corner of his mouth and kind of walks down the street. He kind of glances around as he walks out. He's clearly not expecting anyone following him. He doesn't seem that worried about it. Um, As I'm continuing to watch him, is there anything to hint towards like it was just coincidence that he went to a drug den to get some chew or? You know, he seems he doesn't seem like he expects anyone to be following him. He doesn't seem like he's acting outwardly nervous. He maybe almost seems a little depressed, but not overly anxious. Was this guard at the murder scene? He walked up after you guys got there, but as soon as he saw who the body was, he turned around and started walking away. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to stay on him. There's something weird. Yeah, just that alone is like, you're a guard, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, he didn't stay to investigate at all. He turned around and started meandering away. But like he clearly saw dead girl and then went to drugs. Yes, he saw the react. Like he had a like you could see on his face, his eyebrows went up a little bit. And then there was clearly a look of recognition. And then he turned and started walking away. Yeah, I'm going to keep stealthing after him. At the body, Cigarette nudges Quill and says, Hey, uh, I might need you need your help looking at this. I don't know if you mind taking your familiar out, but I uh, could use, use, um, use some assistance figuring out what's going on here. Uh, Quill snaps his fingers, summoning the uh, lizard onto his palm. Uh, what exactly do you need to look for here? I tell... Quill, what I saw with the the magic, and um, tell him that you know it looks like looks like she might have been trying to protect herself. I'm not sure, but it looks like the gentleman that's there uh, over her body seems to have some sort of amulet or something on him. I can't quite tell. Not uncommon for highborn nobles. Is I I take a look at this guy. Uh, does I'm not going to say does like recognize like or but does this particular gentleman look of a higher quality status within town? 
So he's dressed slightly better than a commoner, but he's clearly not super wealthy. So probably probably not someone who's going to be like decking themselves out in magical items. No, definitely not. But what you would recognize is the black substance that stains his hands is clearly ink. So this is clearly someone that writes a lot, which means that he's likely some sort of either clerk or something like that, or he essentially he's copying or writing correspondence or just copying different records all day. Looks to be a bit above a Scrivener's pay for magic items such as what you describe, but I don't know. Mm. Perhaps. Mm. Well, I'm going to get in there, see if we can help. So Ziggret approaches, uh, kind of doesn't have, probably doesn't have to do much to get through the crowd. Kind of breaks through. It says, "Oh, what what do we have here? What's this poor girl doing on the ground, sir?" Who is she to you? I assume you're speaking to the older gentleman. Yeah, basically directing those comments to the crowd and then kind of focusing the, the conversation more specifically to the to the gentleman at the end of a sentence. The older gentleman turns to you and he has tears streaming down his face. He's clearly in distress. He's pretty much ugly crying. He goes, this is my daughter, Millie. I she's all I had in the world. Her mother died. A few years back, and I've I've done everything I could. I thought, I thought that I could keep her safe, and and I I could raise her right by myself. I just I failed. Oh oh, gods, Catherine, I failed. And he just kind of falls and bursts into tears again. Uh, Ziggret looks around and says, "Did anybody see what happened?" As you address the crowd, two men kind of push their way through. One is fairly plainly dressed, but he's well-dressed. He has a silver necklace around his neck and a very thin circlet on his head. He's pretty stout, middle-aged man, kind of a wide, fat nose. He has shoulder-length gray hair and a neat ponytail. He is wearing riding leathers, which at this time of night... Or, or early morning, really. He is obviously someone that wakes early or he was aroused and prepared to be up this early. He doesn't look fully awake, but he looks like he's been up and kind of burning uh, the candle at both ends, so to speak. He's got dark bags under his eyes and he's clearly some sort of high-ranking officer because the two guards that are there kind of snap to attention Mm-hmm. The gentleman with him is a short, fat man. He has a thoughtful look on his face. He looks like someone that probably smiles a lot. He's got a, lo- a lot of f- smile lines. Around his neck, he's got the symbol of a six-pointed sun. That's Pelor? Yes, Pelor. And uh, he's walking with a slight limp, partially bald, and he's got very much like the kind of friar tuck appearance to him. And... The other gentleman, this apparent in-charge gentleman, addresses you. My guards can take this from here. And as soon as he says this, the older gentleman on the ground 
looks up and you can just see hatred in his eyes through the tears. And he was, God damn it, gammon, get the hell out of here. Haven't you and your soldiers done enough? Gammon turns beet red and he's clearly upset about this. Takes a deep breath. He turns to the man. Goodfrey, I'm going to let that pass because I understand what you've gone through is traumatic. But my guards need to get to the bottom of this. The gentleman on the ground near his daughter stands up and he goes, your soldiers have been a plague on this town for years. And now it's come to a head. And the one that's paid for it is my daughter, Millie, lying on the damn ground. Gammon, slightly taken aback. He's not used to being spoken to this way. And even his guards are kind of glancing from one man to the other. And the crowd starts murmuring. And you can hear some discontent amongst them. I mean, this is clearly something that's been kind of festering for a while. The shorter man kind of puts a hand on the shoulder of Gammon and steps in front of him and then looks down at, at Goodfrey and goes, Goodfrey, why don't you let us do what we need to do? I understand how you feel. You know you can trust me. I have no love for the soldiers here, but we need to keep the peace. Let's not make this situation any uglier. And he kind of guides Goodfrey off into the nearest, well, the only chapel in town. Um, and you kind of see them walk off with each other. Gammon walks over to you and says, who are you and why? Why are you here? Well, you don't recognize your your neighborhood friendly neighborhood dragonborn? Just from up the hill up there. I spend most of my time tamping down small bandits and things like that at some of the outposts around Hightower. My job is to keep the fort clean and clear. It's not my job to keep track of every man-beast that is in the surrounding area. You what? Well, well, I should hope I've... Look, uh, you recognize a dragonborn when you see one. Uh, we're only guarding the mountains up there from the, the Blight area, keeping your area safe from gods know what. But I thought I'd come down for a visit, and I, first thing I see is a dead girl in your town. Dragonborn's got to start asking questions. Kind of looks at you and looks down glances at your wand that's i'm assuming at your hip mm -hmm. and he says ah one of those he goes perhaps perhaps you could help out it's obvious as you've seen there's some tension between my men and the small folk <laughs> raises his shoulders and then kind of slowly lowers him he goes i can't believe i'm asking this but i need an outsider to help us out. They're not going to trust anything my soldiers say. My soldiers are good men. But in the past, a few of them have gotten a little rowdy. They've caused a few bad things to happen. There were some damages. The pe people, people were compensated for their losses. 
it's the, the townsfolk here are resentful, even though my garrison is the only thing keeping this town alive financially and literally. If there were no one here to man that gate, and he turns and he points towards the pass, he goes, God only knows what might come through there. He turns to you and turns to Quill. Well, both of you have the air of someone that might be well-learned. Could you help me get to the bottom of this and ease the tensions with the small folk? If smarts is what you're looking for, you might want to look over at my friend Quill there. And you see Maud poke up out of the pack. She goes, oh, yeah, they're wicked smart. <laughs> Quill kind of, there, there's like a slight grimace to his face as Ziggert points this out. Yes, I am somewhat trained in various degrees. Uh, I could see fit to help in this regard, I guess. Has you speak of uh, incidents before this, nothing so dramatic, so destructive, I take it? There have been some minor incidences, some bar brawls. There's may have been a small stampede of horses through town from the garrison stables. There was supposed to be a there was supposed to be a drunken horse race and it went awry. Let's just put it that way. Maybe one or two small injuries from people being trampled. Nobody died. Just rowdy fun. I make no excuses. The men have been obnoxious. However, they're just doing their job and there is nothing in this town for them to do. Well, if it please you, Lord, I suggest you don't consider what's on the ground over there rowdy fun. And he turns and he just very gravely, I take my job here very seriously. I'm here to protect the small folk and greater Terstland at large. I do not make light of one of the people under my care and charge dying or being killed. The small folk may not like my people, but I've been charged by the king and the royal family themselves to keep this area safe. And even one report like this with how things are at the capital I need this to be resolved. I can open my coffers as much as I can and try to make this worthwhile, but I need a neutral party to talk to the small folk because as soon as my soldiers or my guards come to their door, they won't talk. He's lucky that story's not there to stab him every time he calls them small folk. <laughs> and while he is fairly derogatory, you do get the impression that he really does want to keep everyone safe. It's he referring like everybody's humans. He's just referring to people people of lesser stature as small folk. Yes. Okay. I'm just making sure we're not dealing with like a, a citadel of halflings and he's the, the human over the halflings or something. Oh no no no. Okay. <laughs> no. He he is just kind of snooty low level noble mm -hmm. that takes his charge probably a little too seriously. Sure, sure. What is going on with Story? How's your stealthy adventure going on? I'm just following the guy going, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Be suspicious. Bouncing back to Story. You followed this man through the poor district. He's made a few pit stops. Nothing major. It's just like, you know, it's still fairly early morning. He's maybe stopped to grab a morning beer 
from a vendor or maybe a small like crust of bread or something like that while he's walking and he's just kind of munching. You notice even when he buys the bread, though, he just he can, he's kind of playing with it. He doesn't seem like his heart's into eating. He should stopping at designated spots along his route to check in with people or other guardsmen and things like that. He just kind of seems like he's wandering through this poor district. Eventually, he kind of has this kind of glazed over look. You see him chewing really vigorously at first on whatever his pouch is in his cheek, and it kind of slows down, and he just keeps walking. Every so often, he maybe stumbles a little bit. The people around him, They don't seem to notice him over much. This almost seems like expected behavior out of this guard. And eventually you see him start to wander back towards western side of the gate where the path up to the barracks is. And he goes into the barracks and he's stumbling pretty sloppily up the steps. And even the other guardsmen don't seem to really recognize I shouldn't say recognize. They don't really seem to acknowledge his presence. This is obviously... This is how Ferret comes home? Pretty much. While this should be something, you know, as a guard who's... He's in his guard uniform. He's clearly on duty. You've seen any of the other guards act this way, but they seem to almost expect it from this one. Um, Would I know any of the guards or their fan... Like... Are any of the guards like a kid of somebody that I would know or, you know, like she probably wouldn't know the guards, but like would story. I wouldn't even say that you would probably know a few of the guards, the ones that are probably outgoing and friendly. Mm -hmm. The guards in general are fairly segregated from the general populace. They go out on patrol. Some of them do stop and chit chat with some of the locals. I mean, these guards have been garrisoned here for probably quite a while. Would, but would Story have a go to person to ask, like, what's up with this ferret guy that wouldn't like raise anything? Like if he's going through the poor district, like would Story be able to go ask Maud about it? Like how, how- um, you would not expect Maud to know too much about the ins and outs of the guards. However, she might know something about the drug okay. den. So I'm going to leave him at the barracks because I mean that what else am I going to do? You're probably not going to let the local, well, not the local, but you know, the rogue from a town over to <laughs> come in and just chill. Uh, so I'm going to make my way back and uh, see what's up with the guys. Bouncing back over to the guys, Sir Gammon as he has now introduced himself. Yeah, he's he's basically he's looking for some assistance. He kind of turns to his guards and he turns to the crowd. Would you prefer if I had outsiders investigate this? We have two men of academy here. Quill, you would know that he's referring to the academy that you came from briefly. However, Zigrit, you would know you're not from the Academy. He just assumes you are because he saw sure. the walk. Zigrit will correct that right away. And uh, um, he says, if I could interrupt real quick, it's important to me to know that uh, while I respect the learned arts, I come by my skills naturally. And he turns 
it gives a, a kind of a half frown and he goes, I've asked these outsiders to help investigate. I understand the frustrations with my men. I can sympathize to an extent. It's incredibly frustrating. However, please give these outsiders your cooperation and I will give them as much cooperation from my men as I can to get to the bottom of this poor girl's murder. Please, please keep the peace with my men. We are soldiers. We can understand your discontent. However, if there is threats made, we will respond with force. And he just stares into the crown with his very firm, stony expression. And then he turns and looks at Quill and, and Ziggurat nods and he goes, is there anything else you require? I would prefer the girl gets a proper burial. And Ziggurat goes, well, this inn we're staying at is, uh, is a fine establishment. Uh, is there any place that we could conduct our investigation in a little more private quarters so we're not interrupted by the public? Um, any sort of learning hall or uh, church that we could stay at? Um, you can speak with Friar Benjamin. The gentleman was speaking with Goodfrey. Um, he'll be in charge of interning the body. He handles most of the funeral arrangements and things of that nature for the garrison and for the fort. Friar Benjamin, he is a man of the people. I am not. We don't always see eye to eye, but we, we do understand each other. We're men of position. He is a man of the cloth. He can do whatever you require of him. He can assist you however you need. I'm sure that he is more than willing to offer up an area of his chapel or temple for you to do what you need to. Cool. And Ziggurat says one more thing, not to be pressing. We're, we're happy to help, but um, you mentioned you have deep pockets. Well, it's not necessarily gold we're looking for. Uh, in truth, we're in town looking for information and knowledge. Uh, once all this is done, do you suppose perhaps you could ha aid us in our quest? What I can provide a note to send to the leaders of the next town over wherever you shall choose, it will alleviate any tolls that you may need to provide on the road or into the next town. Mm. My coffers are not deep. However, I will try to supply you with what I can. And access to a library. What limited records we have are open to you. We are an old garrison. However, most of the people, along with most of the books left when the people mostly left this town. Indeed. A word before you go, Gavin. Yes, cat person. <laughs> so lucky I'm not there to stab. <laughs> How common is magic in Hightower now that the people have left? I would suggest you not flash it. <laughs> the... The people here are suspicious. My soldiers, 
they've been all over tourist land and some of them are veterans of battles all over tourist. The small folk here, however, they know little of magic, much beyond what the hedge witch provides in town. Magic is not something you advertise when you walk around the cities in tourist land, sir. Uh, <laughs> Zigrit, as, he, as he's talking about like not using magic, he uses pressure digitation to summon a little sprite, like just one little firefly, and just as a little prank, just buzzes it around uh, Hammond's face. Oh, you mean like this? <laughs> Gammon kind of slaps at it. He turns and glares. He goes, exactly like that. You wouldn't know of any practitioners that had a dislike for Goodfree. Or Millie. Practitioners of the arcane are not common. To my knowledge, Maud, the hedge witch, that filthy woman, oh. is the only oh. magic user I know of. And you kind of see Maud like pops her head around a corner. And she's like, oh, you know you like it, gammon. <laughs> And he just kind of shudders that vile woman. Them's his fighting words. Am I back yet? Can I hit somebody? <laughs> Not my quite. girl. Well, woman. I will speak with your friar uh, about taking a look at the girl's body to ascertain the cause of her death. But it may be that you have a, a second practitioner in town that has some issue with keeping the peace. Uh, Ziggurat kind of snaps in the, out of this playful little mood at that and says, oh, I, we did detect a little magic around the body's body. Gammon turns kind of grayish and he goes, and I fear our troubles are only beginning. Mm. Please make haste. Find out all you can. I'll address the small folk once you have some more information. And he kind of waves to the guards and they wander off as a group towards uh, Hightower Keep. With that, I suggest we get this poor girl off the street oh. and to the chapel. Uh, Ziggurat offers to use his sizable mass to carry the body in his arms. And He's by this point, you would see that uh, Briar Benjamin is returning and he has a couple of his acolytes with him. And he, he sees you approaching the body and he kind of he kind of waves you off. He says, gentlemen, gentlemen, please, please let the acolytes handle the body. Should there be anything that you need to do, do it now. We need to put her into repose and prepare her for her final rites. So her poor, poor father can have some closure. I would like a moment with the body, but I would prefer it not be out in the open for the in the sight of anyone who may have caused such harm to this girl the acolytes have a sort of stretcher with them and they hoist the girl's body onto the stretcher they cover her with cloth they carry her into the temple again kind of going with the theme of just about everything in this town the temple is not it's not uh incredibly well off but it is well-maintained, unlike many of the other buildings. It is stone and thatch with a that 
obviously stone building, cobblestone building, thatch roof. The cobblestone and the stonework here seem just a little of higher quality than the rest of the buildings around it. You do see a, a couple of stone carvings or statues of the symbol of Paylor as you walk into the building. At the front, or I should say at the back of the chapel, you do see a single wooden and gold inlaid six-pointed sun, and then pews, and then there's one or two doors off to the side where the acolytes are carrying this girl's body, and Friar Benjamin kind of strolls next to you guys, but at kind of a comfortable distance behind the body. As you guys enter this kind of smaller area, it's not a huge room. It's it's clearly kind of a, a preparation area. They would be any meals or anything like that that might go on at the temple. And there's a wooden table in the center. Acolytes lift her up on the stretcher and set the stretcher down on top of the table. The room is fairly well lit. There's one or two high windows and then a few torches positioned around the room. Beyond that, it's fairly bare. There's uh, It's a simple uh, dirt and stone floor with some straw scattered about just for comfort to walk on. And the acolytes leave. Friar Benjamin walks over to the girl, kind of brushes her hair back looks at her and says, Millie, I'm truly, truly sorry. We will try as best we can to bring whoever did this to justice. Puts a hand on her head, speaks a quiet prayer, and you can just see this divine power flow out of him. And the air itself above Millie just seems to kind of stand still. And he backs off and says, gentlemen, you may do whatever you need to. And he kind of steps back. Well, what was that? Ziggert looks and says, well, I know magic. That wasn't it. What, what was that? That, my friend, is the direct power of the divine. Expresses himself through his clerics and his priests. One of the things that he allows us to do is stop a body from decomposing. Especially in times of need, where we need time before we can intern the body and give it its final rites. Ziggert doesn't... It was his probably first experience with divine magic. He's around fey magic and his magic and is aware of wizard magic, like learned arts. So that that was a, a, a we'll say, awe-inspiring moment for him, perhaps... Uh, uh, he's just kind of reflecting on on that and the presence of an actual deity, which he probably presumed to be fable. We can say Wh- that you are approaching the chapel and you're kind of ushered into this room by the acolytes. After they realize who you are, they've probably already seen you around town and recognize. Would, would I have seen Maud on the way through? No, Maud is conspicuously, for once, silent. So she's not it she's not in the square anymore. Nope. Maud, it appears, and it, you would know this more than anyone. Uh, she seems to be 
wherever she wants to be. Yeah. Well, she's a hedge witch. She appears no sooner or later than exactly when she wants to be. Which is on time. Uh, so yeah, she's going to very confusedly follow. This is probably something I should have asked earlier, but it only popped in my head now. Is, is, am I a trusted, you don't go to the cops, you go to, to Story if she's in town? So these acolytes probably would have known or seen you speaking with the other non-humans in town because there are very few in number. Okay. And you being essentially a walking bird. Yeah. Are very recognizable. A walking bird that's outgoing. Yes. And very flamboyant. So they would have, they would recognize you. They would have probably directed you towards the people they saw you with this morning and last night. Because remember yesterday, okay. you, you guys were kind of walking all over town as a group. And I think it goes without saying that the Kenku is respectable, but is very uncomfortable being in a anything to do with gods. I can, I can just imagine stories like making these little bird-like movements, looking mm-hmm. all over the room as these <laughs> very like solemn acolytes in these like burlap robes with, uh, uh, you know, the... The the six pointed star of Palor like stitched in poorly into the backs, or they're just kind of like, go 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 without really saying anything. They're just kind of pushing you, <laughs> and 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 Suri's just doing the whole like, yeah. But Kenkus and gods, we don't like. We, there's a thing, okay. Until I see my guys and the and 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 then the dead body and Quill and Zigrit are just. Standing there with this short, fat man in a robe. Quill is going to set his gecko down upon the body and have it do some looking around for him uh, to see exactly what the, the cause of death may have been. Let's have you roll a medicine check. That would be a th- yeah, 13. While not being able to identify exactly what caused the wound, you do note that the edges are very clean. So whatever it was had to have been fairly sharp. And it seems that it was fairly deliberate. Beyond that, you don't get a lot of impressions about the wound itself. You do notice, though, that the heart was completely removed with very little damage to the surrounding tissue. So, yeah, I, will, I will tell my companions that this was quickly done and with purpose. They wanted that heart for something. Sigrid looks appalled and says, who would need a heart of a young girl? There are some tracks of magic that dabble in such things, though I would not deem them fit for study. And you guys do... An investigation check for me, please. All of us? All of you. Uh, 17. Oh, ow. Six. That sure is a dead body. I got a nine. So, Story and Quill, you are just kind of fixated on this wound in this poor girl's chest. Um, Story would be doing, like, quick bullet notes of Ferret. And saying it uh, with with like a note at the bottom saying, "This is suspicious that the drug addict left 
we should ask Maud. And handing it to quit, like, dude was suspicious. And as soon as he's done reading it, I toss it into, like, do they have a fire or something? Like, we're investigating. I'm not leaving my tracks around. Yeah, there's torches. So I'm assuming the, the your lizard's still out, Quill? Yeah, he's he's probably getting a very, like, close-in inspection of this wound and everything. And it's, it's probably taking his uh, focus away from, like, other things. I was gonna say, that's probably why Quill and I didn't have a great role, as I was distracting him with, like, look at the words. Yeah, I'm just, I just envision her, like, writing and then, like, sticking in front of the lizard, be like, <laughs> like pecking on it on the table. <laughs> yeah, like read it, read it, read it, read it. So Ziggurat, you're you had a seventeen. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ziggurat, you kind of you're walking up and down the table. You take in the wound. You know, you kind of run your fingers through her hair. You don't really notice anything weird, any weirder than a dead body with a gaping hole in its chest. But as you go down to her arms. You don't notice anything odd about her left arm, which was kind of over her abdomen, but the arm underneath her body, it's very damaged from the wrist down. It appears that it was burned. Third degree burns, like black, charred. The skin is like flaking off because it's so burnt. As you inspect a little closer, you notice kind of an oily substance that's kind of smooth onto the palms of her hands and then daubed on each side of her neck you see this just kind of an oily substance hmm. um i point that out uh and I, I i said a quill uh i don't know if i can make anything of this but it sure seems strange um oh victim here has burn on her arm um oil on the hands yeah it almost appears that the oil was there before the burn. I see it on either side of a neck. And two, you would remember that there was some abjuration magic on this girl. Right. When you did detect magic. So, yeah, I kind of putting that together. Um, uh, Ziggurat goes, I don't, it's hard, hard to tell, but they might have, uh, she might have been trying to protect herself. Arm outstretched. It's, uh, it's unclear. She was using some sort of abjuration magic, so I have to assume she was using a protective spell of some sort. Quill is going to like reach over and kind of dab the oily substance in between his fingers and get a feel for it and probably a sniff. When there is a, a, a point where I can hand the paper over to Ziggurat, like mm-hmm. he actually reads my notes. The lizard has <laughs> failed me. Still cute, still in love. It's fine. <laughs> the, the gecko is still doing things. Like he's kind of being uh, my yeah, eyes. But he's not reading yeah, the piece like, of paper. Just imagine her like chasing <laughs> nope. this lizard up and down the body, <laughs> waving this piece of paper in I, front of it. I knowing... almost need, uh, maybe her like chasing the lizard with her beak a little bit, like not trying to stab the lizard, but just getting its attention. And I look and I say, "Oh, sorry, love." Uh, you, uh, there's something you want to tell us. Uh, grab the piece of paper and I look at it <laughs> and am very suspicious, kind of piecing together a couple things and wondering why this guard left, what this guard might have been up to, 
but this guard definitely became suspect numero uno, according to Ziggurat, based on this information. I, I, I look at I look at story and I go, w- would you say it seemed like he was guilty based on his behavior? Um, she does the kind of you know the the general shoulder shrug. Don't know. She just signs two things at you. And then goes, oh crap! Takes the piece of paper and goes, seems suspicious, and hands it. Back. Right, seems sus. All right. Uh, it, it says mad <laughs> sus. <laughs> Zikrit, when you see this hand, I'm assuming you kind of point that out to everyone too. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely uh, I brought it to Quill's attention just because it, where Zikrit might have noticed it, he's you know he's not unintelligent, but he's also you know he's he's a presence. He's not necessarily a mind. So, Story, I would actually like you to do a history check for me. Yeah, I was going to say, Story looks because somebody's pointing at something. History. 18 plus 2 is 20. Nice. Yeah. Story, you would, uh, being, you know, this story connoisseur, as it were, you would recognize Grandma's stories talking about a society called the Cult of the Burnt Hand. Now, these stories were always a little scary, and it kind of seemed like like the boogeyman. And this is coming from Grandma, who she was not a meek woman. And even when she spoke of it, you know, it was kind of in hushed tones, and she always kind of leaned in. She always kind of had this nervous look when she talked about the burnt hand. You can't quite recollect a ton but even grandma seemed afraid of the burnt hand. But you do remember their calling card always burning the right hand of their victims. But you also remember grandma saying that no one has heard or seen a member of the cult of the black of the, of the burnt hand in a solid 50 years. So, yeah, she she. You see her, because she has expressive eyes, because I need something. You see the light bulb turn on, and she, like, her hands flail crazy, and at this point you have no idea what any of those signs mean. And she stops, looks at you both, <sighs> grabs the paper out of your hand, <laughs> bullet notes it. That hand. Uh. And it's one of those, the way she talks about grandma, it's like a disciple talking about Jesus. For grandma to be scared of this, Grandma ain't scared of nothing. Zigrid, when you say in your reading and you say out loud burnt hand, you see the friar kind of out of the corner of your eye who's been kind of quiet and keeping to himself and kind of head down. His head kind of pops up and he just turns white. I would say that Story tried to write it in a whisper. Oh, Zigrid said it out loud when he read it. Yeah, no, no, but like... (laughs) You know when you kind of write and it, you you just like it's a little lighter for one word because you don't really want to put it on the page. And, yeah, no, that, that might have made Ziggert say it louder out loud, like he was trying to <laughs> decipher it and say, "Like, is this what she wrote? What does this mean?" <laughs> <laughs> like when you turn the music down when you're driving and trying to find the road sign. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I'm just envisioning like Ziggert's in this fancy restaurant and like the waiter kind of hands of a note, and, like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> <You know? laughs> he's got that kind of bull in the china shop like 
brick through a glass window kind of personality. What's gelato? What's gelato? <laughs> gelato? Gelata? Yeah, so yeah, Ziggurat goes, uh, yeah, burnt hand? What's that mean? It- you get a definite dude <laughs> look from, from Dory. Um, Ziggurat kind of shrugs and looks over at Quill to see if he can make anything of that. Quill, Quill is still trying to figure out what this oily substance is because I've not had a chance to do that. <laughs> Sorry, that was he's like like feeling the viscosity in your fingers and smelling it and checking it out. You kind of like, little tip on the tongue, just <laughs> you know. Quill, could you do an Arcana check for me? I definitely can try. God, I'm not having great luck. Uh, that is a eleven. True to form, John. It's true to form. <laughs> That's all I can say. You can't glean any specifics from it, but you you definitely know it has some sort of magical or alchemical property. You're not sure exactly where someone would have sourced the materials needed for something of this complexity, but you can tell it's complex. Thinking back to what you saw in Maud's shop, you're not even sure if Maud would even have... Yeah, this this seems like I I would suspect with what everyone has been saying, this is something of a bit higher cap capacity than uh, someone of even my training has means by which to acquire easily at this point. Okay, so let's let's just do a quick little uh, break here, just as a recap. What are you guys thinking you want to do from here? I was kind of getting it with Ziggurat kind of asking around for library and like private place for us to stay, wanting to kind of lean into like Ziggurat is still kind of here for Quill, so to speak. He's here for himself, but he's, you know, he's told Quill he's going to follow him and help him with figure things out. So that's kind of what he's focused on, despite what's going on around. So um, and and seeing perhaps this whatever's going on with the situation is kind of doubling down on like, yeah, we need more resources. We need to find more information about this town. His next step was probably to suggest um, trying to find some of the, the harder to get resources, some of the, the higher end clientele around the city and find out who they are. Uh, Story wants to go to mod because now not only is there a suspicious guy going to the drug den, which I mean, mod probably totally knows, the mention of a boogeyman, Maud is the head witch. She would have an idea of, like, if Maud doesn't know, this is, you know, um, or at least know where we can get more information. Like, she'd at least know where we could get more information. And I want to know why that guy was acting so suspicious. And now with, like, cult stuff, like, yeah, she wants to go to the head witch. Quill's erstwhile companions have somehow tricked him into <laughs> investigating a murder. And though he half-heartedly has been attempting to do everything up till now, he uh, he guesses he should probably actually put in some effort <laughs> <laughs> and investigate this by probably asking like where if anyone saw Millie up until she suddenly turned up dead, and maybe talking to uh, the religious people in town because if he heard something about a cult, usually. Uh, Usually the people that know about cults are uh, the people who are maybe in a cult of sorts. Blow on your dice, John. Get Blow that bad luck out of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Story would also be asking Maud about 
Millie and her family and, and who she's, is Millie getting in trouble? Is there a new boy? Is there a new girl? Is there, you know? Okay. Where do you guys want to start? You have got the friar basically in the room with you. Otherwise you could go back to Maud's shop. You know where that is, or at least story does. You guys probably have a vague recollection where that's at. Follow the smell. Yeah, right. That lamb stew. <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to Scooby Doo things. But I mean, if we got the fryer right in the room with us, and yeah, some of us want to go hit up Mod Shop. I can. I can stay back and coax what I can out of this. Uh, this poor fryer. Story will take. At the first moment of, like, you can go talk to Maud. Like, she's going to wait just long enough to see if somebody's going to go with her, and then she's she's out of the temple. Ziggurat uses the gift of his voice <laughs> to, to describe the plan to the, the group, kind of between the conversation between um, between Story and between Quill. Uh, kind of says, like, or what? Uh, Story, you go see if Maud can find anything out. It sounds like uh, can we assume that Quill told us about the the strange substance substance and that it's not anything you know basically what what Steve told us? Yeah, yeah, he probably would have said what he understood about it. And... So yeah, I, I assume the the plan then Ziggurat just kind of says, see if she's got any leads and any ingredients. It doesn't seem like anything she might have herself, but maybe she knows who she, who can get some upscale stuff. Uh, meanwhile, Quill and I will. Talk to our friendly fry over here. She gives you a thumbs up. And this is probably the first time that uh, Quill has really seen the gesticulating power of story in action. And he'll it'll, it'll kind of make a, uh, in the back of his mind, note <laughs> of, oh, she actually is communicating with physical actions. And, and he should probably maybe take some time to figure out what that means. She's also... Loves the small, cute creature. <laughs> I, I, I just imagine her, like, picking the lizard up, like, kind of putting it underneath, like, a vest, and then, like, trying to walk out with the lizard. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no. Anytime that lizard holds still for more than, like, two seconds, she is sleight of hand, trying to slide a hand him, which I understand doesn't work, so I'm not, I wasn't, like, not even going to roll for it because you can see through its damn eyes. Well, only, like... For the most part, I would probably pull back at this point from the gecko, and he can kind of be where he wants to be, which, uh, yeah, it, unless I snap my fingers and he vanishes, he can go basically anywhere. So I suppose noticing your your intent, how, how about you take uh, take the little one with you? He can... just, I'm, I'm thinking Quill like starts walking and then tries to see through the, the, the desert gecko's eyes and then just smacks into a wall. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, and especially when it's not physically on my body at this current junction, I'm going to be minimizing as much movement. And if I want to move around, I would definitely be pulling back away from it using my normal walking staff plus the accustomed motor skills that I've come to learn. And I'm sure Zig would probably be helping out. Actually, here's a good question. Would you have explained to us one of the cool things this thing does is helps me see a little. Probably not at this point. <laughs> okay. So yeah, no. Stories <laughs> is trying to steal your lizard because it's cute. Not like full on steal it. It's totally a child found a cute thing and to love on it. 
unless that lizard attempts to escape, it's probably going with you. And seeing how you're a rogue and it's just a lizard, it probably doesn't have much choice. Can we just for funsies, can we do a sleight of hand versus perception check? Oh, yes. Yes, we can. (laughs) For me or the lizard? (laughs) Um, That'd be even funnier because let's let's have one for for Quill and then one for the lizard. 12 plus 9 is 21. Uh, You're screwed, John. 21, I got a... I got an 18, which is still respectable for me. Uh, The lizard... I forget what the lizard has for perception bonuses. I think it's not very much. So probably not beating. Oh, yeah. he. uh, Well, he got a 1 plus whatever a lizard has, which I'll probably look up shortly. So he's not really noticing So the lizard gecko basically... All of a sudden, he's like, how the hell did I get in this pocket? But there, there, there's like loving scratches happening. She's doing it with the side of her hand because she knows she has a little, she's scratchy. Got like little strips of lamb from the lamb stew in her fur that she just kind of like tucked into a pocket for later. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's going to go to Maud and ask about the ingredients, the cult of the burnt hand, the, the what of the burnt the hand? cult of the burnt hand. I remembered it right. And ask about and why he would nope out of there suspiciously. So that leaves Quill and Ziggurat with the friar. Yeah, that lizard got a zero, if we want to be completely accurate. He has no clue where the fuck he is. He doesn't even recognize it in the pocket. (laughs) It's just warm, there are scritches, and meat. This is the greatest day ever. (laughs) (laughs) It's my first day of existence, and I'm loving it. That's that's a great point too. Like he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. It, it literally is the best thing ever, as far as he's concerned. She is gentle. She's been around small animals before. It's just it's cute, and she's a bird, so she wants it. Ziggert wanders over to uh, the friar then and says, "Look, you weren't there uh, with the girl, so I'm, we're not going to press you hard for questions. But it'd be nice to know a little lay of the land, if you will. You know, a little about the town, who's who, and who's not to know, and." should we be looking out for friar can leans back he takes a breath and he's still visibly shaken you definitely noted like he turned kind of pale before when you mentioned the burnt hand mm-hmm. but he kind of takes a shaky breath and he's like fort hightower has always been here goes as long as Turstland has been here so has fort hightower Fort Hightower is old enough, it goes beyond our written records. As you probably have figured out, Sir Gannon Loxley of Hightower, the noble that has been placed in charge of Hightower Keep and maintaining the gateway through the mountains. He is, as hesitate to say, a good man, but He is steadfast in his charge. He does take care of the keep. He does take care of the fort. And to his power, he takes care of the people that live in Hightower. That being said, he is very much a tool of the kingdom. Trust him only as far as you have to. Without kind of indicating too much, Ziggurat goes, look, amongst us here, uh, there's those who know the mountains well and there's no those who know beyond the mountains well to be honest i don't know much of a threat beyond those gates 
sure there's the wildlands and uh, the wilds that the mountains have to offer but i personally oversee an entire range of the mountains out to the northeast you might have even heard of the sorcerer school no the friar nods and he goes i i know little of what lies beyond the mountains i only know that <laughs> me <laughs> he goes i i only know that an ancient evil was locked behind the mountains and the gate was to block that evil off from coming into Tursland over land. I know that long ago, a group of countries and races banded together to fight back this evil and built the gate. Beyond that, I'm no sage. I'm no historian. I don't know much more than that. I've lived in Hightower most of my life. I left briefly as an acolyte, and then I came back to serve Paylor as best I could. As far as Hightower itself, we're a simple town with frustration and want come anger. The people see the soldiers and we resent them. They always have a place to sleep. They always are fed. They are always clothed where we struggle for basic necessities. On top of it, we live off of their scraps. They buy things in the town. We use their coin. Beyond that, we have very little trade except for the few meager offerings that come through the mountains. That poor man whose daughter is lying on the table there was Goodfrey Homerson. You may have noticed he is somewhat biased against the soldiers. His wife was harassed by soldiers very regularly. So he is more than a little resentful. Do you suppose any connection there? That I cannot tell you. I know he was a very, very vocal minority in the town that wanted to oust the soldiers however possible. Most of us realize without the soldiers, this town dies. Um, On that topic, he... It seems to be rather, uh, how do I put this, well off comparatively. Uh, not many can find themselves so steeped in ink that their hands are permanently stained. Cheaply, that is. So I feel it's not cruel to say that he himself, Gufri, has any trouble finding a place to sleep. Is there any issue with other villagers, townsfolk? and him that may have caused undue strife. Goodfrey, for the most part, aside from complaining about the soldiers kept to himself, he's he's a clerk for the Fort Keep. He keeps records. That's all he does is he maintains and manages the small amount of records left. We have no library or anything like that. He's a numbers man. I imagine there are probably some older records that he maintains and copies over from derelict scrolls and things like that left by former generations of Hightower, but I can't imagine anyone would ever want to cause him harm or his daughter, especially not his daughter. She was a sweet girl. And uh, our companion mentioned... A cult of sorts, uh, burning hands, I believe is what she wrote down. You wouldn't happen to know anything of such a thing 
After all, old wives' tales and boogeymen are often have a kernel of truth to them. I know enough to know that we don't ask questions about the cult of the burnt hand. Not has been seen of them for 50 years, and I sincerely hope to Paylor we never see them again. They pursued the darkest of the gods with a fervor that gives me the chills. The horrors that they've brought into this world over the years. When I was an acolyte, we followed one town that had managed to earn their ire and the atrocities, the blood painted across the entire town. Nobody lived. And he just shakes his head. Would there be anyone in Hightower old enough to recognize or have more information on that subject? Unless there is some old records that Goodfrey maintains, I cannot imagine. The cult of the burnt hand, they've disappeared. We No one's seen them for years and years, for decades even. Sigurd stares him down intently. Uh, maybe not so much to, to know, but I want to roll an insight check to see uh, if he's holding back. 11. You don't get the impression that he's withholding information as much as he is trying to maintain his outward demeanor. He clearly is very disturbed by the mention of the, the cult of the burnt hand. Trying to stay professional and a little anxious about it. And and he's a priest, too. So he's he's expected to be kind of this rock for the people that follow him, for his flock. But this is this is clearly something that really disturbs him. He was not expecting to hear anything about this story. Bouncing back to you. Yeah. You walk into mods. Doing the customary knock and whistle. Yes. You know, you don't hear anything. Normally, you can hear some bubbling. You can hear like a rattling of a kettle. You can hear you don't really hear anything. You probably feel comfortable enough. You've been here often enough that you feel comfortable just walking in. She would be the hedge witch who knows anybody who's anybody. So that's I mean, in a town this small, that's who you find. So that's who she made friends with. Exactly. So, yeah, she, she would probably be going around the house, not like. Not going into any rooms that aren't hurt, like, but doing, you know, see a door or a room, knock and whistle and then go around and sure. And probably getting quieter and quieter. And and you don't really like there's there's no sign that anyone's been here in like the last couple hours. But I mean, there's there's still a pot of lamb stew on. It's still kind of simmering over some some kind of slowly dying out coals. You see a little note that just says, help yourself. And it's it's spelled just like yourself. First thing she did that she's walking around with with the stew whistling really hard sometimes feeding you know the drier bits to the the gecko. She kind of sits there and as you're enjoying your stew, you kind of see Maud walk in. She's she looks tired. Like she's clearly been out and about. She doesn't look like her normal like kind of energetic self she's a little disheveled and she just kind of plops down she goes ah stoy how, how you how you doing hun you got some you got some lamb stew does mon no sign yeah yeah I, I would say she understands it but she she probably is not real up with actually signing herself she knows enough to recognize what you're saying okay i didn't think of a voice for 
story because she wasn't supposed to have one. And then signing with people who know sign. Ma, do you want tea? I'll make tea. No, you said I'm. And she just goes and Maud's tired, so she goes and makes tea, or whatever Maud, because Story would know. Does she want tea or does she want liquor? Both. She wants a hot toddy, obviously. Oh, then yeah. So Story, who probably learned how to make a hot toddy the third or fourth time she visited Mom or Maud, making her a hot toddy. Got got the. I don't actually. I've never. Had one, so you know. Oh no, 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 no! We gotta, we gotta fix that. What? We gotta fix that. Um. Any, anyways. Uh, so, <laughs> so I don't know what she's getting out and what she's doing, but it's hot. So I assume something needs to warm up. So you make, you make tea and you put booze in it. Yeah, that sounds right. Exactly like something I would love. With a little touch of lemon. Yep. A little cinnamon. A little really lemon. good. That that was that was my cold medicine when I was growing up with my grandma. Amazing. <laughs> Weird how she always got me to go to sleep. Real easy. Real easy. Um, so yeah, so story makes for Maud. She puts 100 percent in, makes it, gives Maud a moment to be home. It's a little tragic, you know, tra- traumatizing of a day. Hands it back and says, The girl, the dead girl, Melia. I didn't remember her name. I know there was a guard and he acted acted real weird. He saw he saw Millie dead and then he just walked off and went to the drug den. And it seemed like he didn't react. He saw her dead and left. It was real weird. And then he went to the barracks and he got, I don't know, they gave him, the, he was chewing something. I don't know. I, I, but he was acting real weird. There's something about her that... Grandma, I told you about Grandma, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, honey. She used to tell me these stories, and, like, nothing scared Grandma. Nothing ever, like, I don't think I ever saw her scared, but she was talking about this cult. And the girl, it was like something out of one of her stories. And I just, I don't know. And and then and then the guy, that you know, the dragon guy, the, he, he was talking about magic and seeing... Abjuration. It, it takes her like eight times to try to like phonetically finger spell it because no billion letters. Yeah, yeah. And I would assume at some point Maud went, yeah, yeah, abjuration. Got it, got it. <laughs> After like the fifth attempt, she's like, I, okay, okay, don't hurt yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, I remember seeing her, and I haven't heard anything like bad about her. I just, this is all really weird, Maud, and it's not like you don't. You don't just take somebody's heart unless they did something wrong. Oh, start, start. You sure it was her heart? Hold on. I just love that you said, unless they did something wrong. And then it's totally cool. To take <laughs> it's totally heart. fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's cool after that. Didn't, didn't well, you yeah, know that? Then there, there's fine. a contract then, and then it's fine. But, like, you don't just leave the body in the middle of the, the like, who's getting that message? That's for everybody. No one ate anything. It was the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. yeah. And it looked clean. I don't know. And then she, she had this like oil stuff on her left, right hand. Right hand. Right hand. The story remembers this, and this is all beautifully signed. And Anne can't remember anything. <laughs> and, and on the nape of her neck. And on the yeah. Both sides of her neck, yeah. Maud kind of, as your finger spelling, she kind of stiffens up. She's like, abjuration magic 
oil. Do you get, honey, do you got any of that oil? Did you touch it? You got any of that oil? No, I didn't, but, but Quill did, the cat guy. Did, did, did both of you touch it? I think it was uh, just me. Yeah, Digger didn't. He was watching Quill do it with intent, but didn't actually touch it himself. Uh, at this point, she's taken out the lizard and handed it to Maud and, and pet him and give him food because she's, you know, signing in camp, but he needs love. Is the lizard still in my pocket? Yeah, the lizard's still there. He can go quite a distance away from me. Okay. A couple miles, isn't it? Or up to mile? Yeah. Something like it's, that? It's definitely quite a distance. Yeah, it's it's a ways. It's a way. Yeah. yeah, but he wasn't, he was in my pocket getting no love, and he is too cute for that, so he goes to, to Mod. She kind of pats him, and she's like, okay, so honey, I, there's there's no other magic uses in this town. Like, I'm it. Okay? That's why I'm asking, like, yeah. Like, people look at me like I'm trash, which I, I mean, I'm kind of trash. Let's be honest. I'm kind of trash. Hey, one person's trash is another person's treasure. Get mods. She gives kind of like the Danny DeVito shrug. I'm kind. I'm kind. I'm kind of trash. I'm kind of. But there, there is one. There, there is one kind of thing around here that could do something like. I can't. I can't imagine someone to go to that before me. It's not smart. It's. It's kind of. It's scary. But what is it? Somebody obviously went. I I don't, honey, don't, I don't even want to send you there because there's some dark shit. Yeah. But, uh, but this is a contract. This is a murder. She goes, there's this, there's this little, there's this little town, this little village out east, along the road. You, you take a first fork in, in the, in the, in the road to the east. You take, take a turn to the south. There's not any people left in it, but there's one, one house. You're going to see that house is perfect. And there's always sweets. You can smell them from a mile off. Don't, don't drop your God down story. That is a dark, dark place. There's something, there's something dark there and old there. So old. I went there once and I wish I never had. She goes, watch out. For the little girl. And that's where we'll stop for tonight. Little girl. Sorry, you can't see me writing all of the notes ever. <laughs> so you end with that. Well, it looks like we're killing children now. Creepy ghost oh, children boy. gonna die. <laughs> oh boy. Because they're the worst. They're the worst. It'd be a good time. Sigurd's got a breath weapon, someone. Gotta, gotta blow that icy breath. Uh, so, yeah, stories world is rocked because the one thing that scared grandma is leading to something that's scaring Maud. Thanks for listening to In Absentia. If you would like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at UberGeekMedia. You can find our website at www.ubergeekmedia.com or you can watch us live on Twitch every Friday night at 8.30 as we record at twitch.tv slash ubergeekmedia.